I'm Sam, and it is wonderful to see you all. And thank you, Rupert, for teeing up my talk so beautifully. Um, we're going to look at a few verses from 1 Corinthians 9 and, um, and a few from, verse, from chapter 10. But let's pray, uh, would you, as we, as we start. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together now. Thank you for your word. Would you use this time, would you use my words and our attention to speak to us for our encouragement and our building up together in Christ Jesus. Amen. So, the passage is 1 Corinthians 9, beginning at verse 24. Do you not know that in a race... All the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Fantastic. Have you ever followed a training plan? Maybe that's not quite your thing. Maybe um, a work plan or back in the day, like a, a revision plan when you were doing your GCSEs or A-levels. Maybe work involves plans these days. Maybe plans turn you off, turn you cold, or maybe they get you going, ticking things off as you go, following that spreadsheet, Gantt chart, however you do it. We're all used to plans and we know that we make plans, we work plans for the things that we love, things that we value, projects we want to see come to completion. But I wonder, this passage makes me ask, have we applied those principles, do we apply those principles to our spiritual lives, to our walk with Jesus? Now before we all kind of get down on ourselves, we will, I'm sure a lot of us have followed plans at various times in various ways uh, in our spiritual lives, perhaps a Bible reading plan or um, some kind of prayer diary to help us or a book we've read that has sort of helped us to grow. But I wonder what it would look like if we had a sort of all-encompassing spiritual growth plan. What would it look like? A spiritual training plan that takes into account life in all its facets. Well, do we need one anyway? Is it a bit over the top, a bit overkill, a bit too keen or intentional? Well, we're going to spend a few minutes looking at these verses and seeing what Paul has to say. This passage caught my attention a little while ago, and I I really like it, not because I perfectly sort of do it, fulfill it, I haven't achieved Paul's um, lifestyle that he's encouraging, but I think there's something about it that I like in that it seems to go a little against the grain. It raises questions, I think. It invites us to puzzle or to wrestle. It contrasts a little bit with some of the other biblical teaching we're used to. It makes us sort of wonder how it all fits together. And I think if we wrestle with it, 
it'll nuance, clarify, enrich our understanding of Jesus and walking with him. And I suppose I like it because when I fall into a sort of default passivity, when I am tempted to coast, uh, as maybe some of you are, from time to time, it calls me out. And yeah, there's something about running and training that appeals to me too. I'd love to hear what you make of, uh, of these verses, of this challenge um, later on. So the first point, we're going to have three points, of course. The first point is this, run to win the prize. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. 2,000 years ago, the Corinthians loved their biennial Isthmian Games. I'm not sure I pronounced that right. Isthmian Games. These were like our Commonwealth Games, second only to the Olympics. They were huge and they were more local. The image of the athlete and the race was a familiar one. Everyone knew, everyone knew that those running in a race ran and only one would get the prize. Of course they did. But in a shocking twist, Paul applies this image to the Christian life. He turns to his Corinthian correspondence. He turns to us here this evening and says, run in such a way as to get the prize. But hang on a second. Is Paul saying there aren't enough crowns to go around? That we won't all be saved? Or indeed only one of us will be saved? Well, no, of course not. Of course not. That would be ridiculous for the apostle of the Gentiles who gave his life to going around preaching the good news so that as many would be saved as possible. Uh, that wouldn't make any sense. Rather, he's making a point, uh, as Rupert did just before I got up, that the Christian life doesn't happen by default. The effort is involved. There will be a multitude of victors, we can be reassured. But Paul's language isn't one of merely participation but of, of victors, of winners. Does anyone know who the fastest marathon time belongs to? Anyone in the room? Any guesses? It's a Kenyan runner, Eliud Kipchoge. If you've got the BBC Sports app, you know, might have, might have told you. He ran a time. I mean, he actually went sub two. I think he was the first person to go sub two hours. Um, but it wasn't sort of an official race. Um, but in a race in Berlin Marathon last year, he set the world record, two hours and one minute and nine seconds, beating his previous record by 30 seconds. Are we able to get the video up? Um, here, if it, if it works, we have um, a brief sort of highlights of the BMW Berlin Marathon 2022. Enjoy. The 8th edition of the BMW Berlin Marathon and the outside conditions could hardly be better for this big day. No wind and 12 degrees in the Tiergarten. Berlin just perfect is what the top athletes call it. And it is the return of the world record holder and double Olympic champion Eliud Kipchoge. Four years after his fabulous time in the streets of Berlin, he wants to attack his own record today. And 45,000 runners from 157 nations will accompany him. But the big favorite is, of course, Eliud Kipchoge, the 37-year-old Kenyan, 52 kilograms light. What a backdrop for the start. 
first five kilometers with his three pacemakers already 10 seconds under record pace. Never before has there been a faster tempo set in Berlin or anywhere else. And they all had no idea what a historic day this was going to be. The half marathon, and already the first record is broken, the fastest ever split. The magic sound barrier of two hours was wobbling. But then Elliot, with 17 kilometers to go, had a lonely hard race ahead of him, against the clock, with more than a minute's cushion on his world record. He ran the race of his life, the finish through the Brandenburg Gate. One million people had supported him on the streets of the capital. A day for the history books. Eliud Kipchoge runs the 12th world record in Berlin, an astonishing 30 seconds faster than four years ago. And Tigis Asefa from Ethiopia provided another highlight, a new course record. The old record was beaten by more than two minutes, the third fastest time ever run by a woman in the marathon. And a personal best by nearly 19 minutes. Once again, sports history was written at the Brandenburg Gate and everyone who crossed the finish line was part of this historic day, a, a day of Berlin legends. Smashing, thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Did you see the way that Elliot ran, the way that he ran with his team around him, spurring him on, providing the pace, breaking the wind, uh, for him to sort of be in their slipstream as, as far as they could do the pace, it would seem. Um, there's focus, there's economy of, of stride, of gait, there's economy of course. He's not kind of wiggling around. His eyes are set. And Paul's saying, run like this with Jesus. Did you catch the number of runners in that marathon? They mentioned it. 45,000, 45,000 runners. And at the end there, two wreaths, one for the first male and first female. A slightly more down to earth uh, running example for my parents. Both of them are enjoying running at the moment, very, very, very amateur uh, in contrast. Mum did race for life if, like 20 years ago, couch to 5K. Um, five years ago, maybe um, some of you have done couch to 5K. She's got everything going for her. She, uh, probably a similar build to, uh, to Kipchoge, um, but hasn't done a two-hour marathon yet. Um, you know, lithe, no joint problems, good health. My dad, on the other hand, um, growing up, he would cycle. He used to cycle loads, but he, he never ran. He had bad back, bad knees. Anyway, one of his knees grew, grew so bad that uh, he had a, a replacement last year. And since then, he, he just loves sort of data. He loves measurement. He loves kind of seeing... Uh, improvements and sort of measuring his improvement. So he, a few months ago, sort of went to park run with my mum and he walked with the tail walker probably 45 minutes or so to get round. Mum consistently runs like 30, 35 minutes. But after a, a little while, dad began putting a bit of running in and I think now he's running the whole way around. And in fact, a couple of weeks ago, he uh, almost went sub 30, three seconds off. And I think is now consistently sort of beating BT mum, who's sort of been running uh, that whole time. Not bad for a six-year-old recovering from a knee surgery. If he carries on that way, he'll be the first finisher in a, a number of weeks. Unlikely, I know. But he's focused. There's that sense of determination of 
wanting to improve, wanting to get the time, wanting to be back on his feet. Paul says, run to receive the prize, determined, focused, efficient, economic. It's not just about participation. Own your relationship with Jesus, he says. Don't let it grow cold. Don't drift out of touch with Jesus as we might do with some of those friends on Facebook. There's a church in Ephesus um, and in Revelation there um, that the letter to the church in Ephesus says this, you've forsaken your first love. And we don't want that to be true of us, do we? And Paul goes on in chapter 10 to talk about the Israelites' warnings from Israel's history. He says, I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors had everything going for them. They were all under the cloud, that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. They gave themselves to idols and turned away from their God and failed to enter the promised land. It's a shocking, a sobering wake-up call for us. So that's the first thing. Run to win the prize. Don't take it for granted. The second point Paul wants to make is that eternal crowns are worth training for. They're worth taking seriously. Eternal crowns are worth training for. But hang on, isn't the prize already ours? Hasn't Jesus already done the work? Well, again, yes and no. Yes, that is the good news, isn't it? Jesus has won the crown. He has run the race. He has done what we couldn't do, what we could never have done. Dying on the cross for our sins, rising again and sharing all that was his with us. And it's in him that we join in that victory. The crown is already ours to the extent that we're in Jesus. But that's the thing. The prize isn't ours until we cross the line. It's not finally, certainly ours until we meet Jesus face to face. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. So am I saying that we're saved by works? No, only that we ought to take our faith, our walk with Jesus, our spiritual growth seriously. If we do that, we'll be fine. Everyone who competes for the games goes into strict training, we're told. Of course they do, we all know that. Athletes train hard. What for? What do they do if they're the one who's worked hard enough? They get a gold medal that tarnishes and fades. Or in Paul's day, the winner of the Isthmian Games were given wreaths, as we saw in like the video. Wilted celery leaves in their case. Not particularly appealing to me. But there you have it. Athletes would pour themselves out into their training all for that wreath of wilted celery. This was how serious athletes took the Olympics. Apparently they would swear an oath on slices of boar's meat, boar's flesh, that in nothing will they sin against the Olympic Games and that for 10 successive months they have strictly followed the regulations for training. Tertullian observed, the more strenuously they've exerted themselves, the greater is their hope of victory. Well, we get that, don't we? Self-control, the fruit of the Spirit, 
that by Socrates was called the fundamental virtue, vigorous control of appetite and passion, we so often replace with pleasure, whatever feels good in the moment. And the life of the athlete is a helpful one for us to look at. Paul's emphasizing every victory has its price. Every victory requires us to make effort and sacrifice and to rein in our appetites for food, drink, sexual pleasure. Dina Asher-Smith is the fastest British woman on record, I believe, for 200 meters, winning gold in Tokyo. When asked about her cheat meals, she said this, it varies. It's actually more like a post-season treat. This year, my team have been really strict with me. Every time I ran a PB, I'd be asking, can I now have a cupcake? And they'd say, no. My post-season treat will be everything I've craved. Ribs, mac and cheese, cakes, ice cream. I've got a real craving for chocolate buttons right now. Last year, it was sweet potato fries and mayonnaise, and I wasn't allowed any. Now, my craving's for chocolate buttons. But just that idea of holding off those things that we crave for a whole season, for months at a time, while we focus on the goal. Even at an amateur level, we take training pretty seriously. One of the guys at St. Michael's has done a number of Ironmans. That's a, a triathlon, a really, really long triathlon. Never mind winning, you have to train just to survive the thing. Imagine swimming one length of your 25-meter pool and then repeating it another 153 times. It's okay for some looking around. But then cycling to Brighton and back again and finishing with a marathon. Mental. Any one of those constituent parts would be enough for most of us. Just flicking through Strava this morning, that's like Instagram for exercise lovers. Um, it was full of people doing their long runs and bike rides ahead of marathons coming up in the spring and Ironmans in the summer. Athletes train, they take competing seriously Maybe we think they take it a bit too seriously, but it's an encouragement, a challenge perhaps to us. How seriously do we take our, our growth in spiritual matters? They train for a prize that spoils and fades, prizes that belong to this life, this earth with its mortality. We train to get a prize, a crown that will last forever. What's at stake for us is not temporary, but eternal. You might have heard some of these mantras, no pain, no gain. Pain is just weakness, leaving the body. Pain is temporary, glory is eternal. Well, there is some truth in those sayings. They can be overused, of course, misused, but there is some truth. And in fact, there's more truth, I think, for us in those than there is for the cross-country runner who's going out to win the varsity match against Cambridge. We're so accustomed to fading crowns, the prizes of this world, that I think we find it hard to imagine what an eternal crown would be like. So let me try very briefly to help us. An eternal crown, and a crown that will never need to go in a memory box, in a cupboard, tucked away, growing dusty. It'll never need to be thrown away or recycled. It's a crown that will always be ours, and one that we'll always have the right to wear. Sometimes after a big race, you see people kind of walking around with their sort of finishers' medals on. And that's okay for you know, an hour or two after the event, but 
if they sort of parade around all week, uh, you'd think they were, you know, well, maybe they just need to hand their medal up and, you know, do the next race. But we'll have done the race. It'll be behind us, and that crown will finally be ours. It won't depend on how we do each day or um, what's going on. It will be ours to keep, ours to treasure. So if that's the prize, are we training? Maybe, a little. Are we enjoying the bread and butter of just time each day with the Lord? A few minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, half an hour, in his word and in prayer. Church on Sunday, well, well done, we're all here. Home group, a bit like a sort of midweek training session with a, a smaller group of friends going deeper, doing life together. And there are other aspects of training you might do and consider too. You might look at spending time in silence and solitude, having a quiet morning or quiet day, fasting. And you can read more about those things. You could grab a book, a Christian classic, to deepen your faith, a biography, or mere Christianity, the reason for God, a celebration of discipline, any number of great books. Eternal crowns are worth training for. And the third point is a recap really run with purpose follow Paul's example as he follows Christ and if you want the ultimate example of someone running with purpose look at Jesus Paul doesn't run aimlessly or beat the air he runs with direction he lands his blows earlier in the chapter he shared that he'd become all things to all people so that by all means he might save some I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings No one who wants to make a difference or achieve anything runs aimlessly. There's an ultra runner called Scott Jurek who set the fastest known time for running the Appalachian Trail, 2,200 miles. And he didn't do that by sort of bumbling his way kind of through the states of America, but by setting his mind, by running 50 miles a day for 46 days straight. Or Muhammad Ali, one of the greatest heavyweight boxers of all time, He didn't make world renown by taking it easy. I read that he would vary his routine. He did bicycle crunches, sit-ups with a medicine ball and leg raises as his primary exercises. Ali then would put his bag gloves back on and hit the speed bag for nine minutes. He'd close out his boxing drills by by skipping for 20 minutes. We need to focus on our goal, to become like Christ, to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, to walk more closely to Jesus day by day. As Rupert said, to get to know him better year by year. So to sum up, and I'm speaking to myself as much as any of you, let's run this year. Let's not let 2023 drift by. Let's be intentional. Let's dream big and take small steps day by day. Let's run to win. Often the the hardest step is the first step. I've heard it referred to as the doorstep mile. That first mile, the effort of getting your shoes on, getting out of the door. Perhaps this evening you'd like prayer for that first step, lacing up your shoes, getting your jacket on and uh, getting out into the into the race. Maybe you feel like you've hit the doldrums. 
how somewhere in the middle of the race, the start feels a long time ago, the end isn't quite in sight. Or maybe you feel like you've just hit the wall and you can't go on. Wherever you're at, the Lord Jesus would love to meet with you and to encourage you and to strengthen you, to fill you with his spirit that you might run for his glory and into his arms. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words of challenge to us at the start of this new year. Lord, we ask that you would give each of us vision for what it looks like to run with you and to run with purpose, to run to win the prize that you've set before us. Help us to encourage one another, to spur one another on, to run well together. We ask that in all of this, you might be given the glory. Come and fill us with your spirit and help us to take those steps, small steps forward day by day. In Jesus' name, amen.